This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Rabbi Shahli Sadri wa Sili Amri Wahlul Ukdata Milisani Yafkahu Kauli Wallahumma Thabitna Indal Mauti Bila Ilaha Illallah Amin Ya Rabbil Alameen. Today's khutbah is dedicated really to just one, maybe two ayat of Suratul Munafiqun. And most of this khutbah, I'll be talking to you about an incident, a story that is behind the revelation of Suratul Munafiqun. I've spoken about this story on a couple of occasions, but the more I visit this story and revisit this story, I realize there are things that I've missed speaking about. And I think they're extremely relevant and important for myself and for the ummah. So I decided to, to revisit this story and share some insights with you regarding it. This surah is revealed to the Prophet ﷺ in Medina. So it's, he's already transferred from Mecca to Medina. And it's been a few years now that they're in the city of Medina. And a few battles between the Muslims and the Quraysh have taken place. One of those battles is the battle of Uhud. And in Uhud, Muslims suffered some very heavy losses. Because of those losses, some other Arab tribes near Medina, they thought this a good opportunity. The Muslims are injured right now. If we attack them right now, we can make easy money. So they were not enemies of Islam, they were just capitalists. They were just hoping that they can rob, because that's how they made good money back then. They robbed each other. You know, a lot of them just pillaged each other. So one such tribe, Bani Mustalaq, they figure it's a good time to attack the Medina. But the Prophet ﷺ had very good intelligence in the region, and he found out before they were even going to attack, that they're preparing their arms to, ro- to rob and raid the city of Medina, because they think the Muslims are weak as a result of Uhud. So the Prophet ﷺ preempts their strike, prepares a group, goes along with them and heads out towards Bani Mustalaq. It's actually not much of a battle. And very quickly, over a hundred of their soldiers have been taken prisoner of war. And you know, the battle's basically over with minimal casualties. And when these, this, among the people that were captured was actually the daughter of the tribe leader of Bani Mustalaq. So, and she accepted Islam. When she accepted Islam, Rasulullah marries her. And then he gives her a marriage gift. And the marriage gift is those hundred prisoners of war are returned. They go back home. On the other side, you have people crying because they've lost combatants and, you know, their women, wives, you know, uh, daughters, sisters, crying and lamenting over their lost family members, the caretakers of the home, and they come walking back in. Like, how did you get back? Well, we're a wedding present. And you know, and when that happened, the entire tribe became Muslim. Everybody took shahada. So this was one of the easy and very profound victories of Islam. One, one that really boosted the morale of the Muslims. And especially something that the Muslims needed given the circumstances of Uhud and how demoralizing Uhud was. This was a real boost to the morale and the, you know, positive attitude of the Muslims. Anyway, on the way back, from a, from this good experience on the way back, a strange incident occurs. And that's what this story is about. This surah is about. On this way back, there was a well, and there were people lined up to get water at the well. And among the, in that line, there's a Muslim army, and the Muslim army is made up of people that are from Mecca, the Muhajirun, the migrants. And the Muslim army is also made up of people from Medina, the Ansar. You should know, if you don't know the Arabic terms, Muhajirun are people who migrated for Allah's sake. So they left everything behind and came in their loyalty to the Prophet ﷺ. So when we call someone a muhajir, it's actually a very noble term. It actually means they sacrificed everything to be with the Prophet ﷺ. They left their home, they left their property, they left their businesses, they even left their families in some cases. And just came because of La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah ﷺ. So anyway, some of the people there 
are muhajirun. Other people there are ansar. Ansar are basically the people of Medina who aided, who provided not small but huge amounts of aid. You see musaid in Arabic is someone who helps. But a nasir in Arabic is someone who helps a great deal, a huge amount of help. The Ansar were people who offered unimaginable kinds of help to these muhajirun that come from Mecca. They provide them home, they provide them, they're not well off themselves, but they share their homes with them, they share their livelihood with them, they share, you know, like literally every part of their life with them and put themselves at an inconvenience. Nowadays, you and I live in three bedroom, four bedroom, five bedroom homes and a guest comes over and you can't use that extra office room anymore and that agitates you. Back then, their homes are one room. That's all they are. And if you want to make a separate bedroom, draw a curtain. There you go, separate bedroom. And that, and they're not coming over for an hour or two. These are living with each other now. Families living with each other like this. This is not a small thing to do what the Ansar did. Allah even says, وَيُؤْثِرُونَ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَوْ كَانَ بِهِمْ خَصَاصًا They give others preference over themselves even if they're starving. Even if there's starvation afflicting them. Like not just if they're hungry, if they're starving, you know. But anyway, so these are the Muhajirun and Ansar, they're in line at this well, and it just so happens that one of the, one of the Muhajirun, one of the people of Mecca, whose name is Jahjah. It's an interesting name, Jahjah, and he's the, he's the servant of Umar radiallahu anhu. He's in line, and he gets into a little argument with another member of Khazraj, Sinan ibn Wabr. This, this other Sinan fellow, and this Jahjah fellow, they start arguing with each other, fighting with each other, and Jahjah basically kicks him. And he kicks him hard. And when this happens, the Ansari, meaning the, the person from Medina, the Sahabi who got kicked from Medina, got very upset. And he said, you, you from Mecca, you get to do this to me? You can't do this to me. And so he cried out. And he said, Ya ma'ashar al-muhajir, Ya ma'ashar al-ansar. And another narration says, Ya al-ansar, meaning Ansaris, people of Medina, come. Look at what this guy did to me. And he, then the other guy, Jahja says, Wait, you're gonna gang up against me? I got my gang too. So he goes, Ya al-Muhajirin! And all the Muhajirun in the camp, they gather behind him. And what was originally an argument or misunderstanding between two people, turned into two groups. And ready to just fight each other, because they're all stressed out and, you know, and where did this come from? Where did all of this, this mess come from before we go on with the story? When you say, La ilaha illallah, then your nationality becomes secondary. Your ethnicity becomes secondary, your language becomes secondary. What connects you to another person now is stronger than any of those things. What connects you to another person now is la ilaha illallah, it's thicker than blood. That's what connects you. And the sahaba understood this. It's not like they didn't understand this. But you have to know that our bond with each other of Islam is not the only bond human beings have. Human beings also have tribal bonds, tribal affiliations. We also have national affiliations. We also have ethnic affiliations, language affiliations. It's okay if you're from Bangladesh or Pakistan or Egypt or whatever, and another Bangladeshi walks in, and you guys start talking to each other in Bangladesh. That's okay, because you connect at a level of language. That's natural. There are, if you go to New York City, there are people, there are entire neighborhoods that are entirely in Mandarin. Like even the store signs are in Chinese and Mandarin. There are other store, other neighborhoods that are entirely Greek, other neighborhoods that are entirely Arab, others that are entirely not just Arab, just Yemeni. Just Yemeni. There are others that are just entirely Punjabi, others that are entirely Bangladeshi. That's, that happens. Naturally, people want to move closer to, and they gravitate towards people that are more familiar with them. That is a part of being a human being. Allah actually made us that way. He made you into nations and tribes, so you get to know one another. That's part of our, our human experience. But 
what I want you to focus on is when they called each group at that moment, it actually wasn't about ethnicity. It wasn't. It wasn't even Ya Ahla Makkah, Ya Ahla Yathrib, people of Makkah, people of Yathrib. They didn't use those words. They used the words Muhajireen and Amsar. These words have nothing to do with ethnicity. They have nothing to do with nationality. They don't even have anything to do with region. They actually have to do with contribution. That's what they have to do with. The, the contribution of the Muhajirun is that they migrated. The contribution of the Ansar is that they aided. So they used words, what I'm trying to get at is they used words that in and of themselves are very beautiful words. These are words that Allah uses in the Qur'an to describe the greatness of these people. These are not small words. These are far more dignified words than any ethnicity. So on the one hand, there's a fight breaking out. But on the other hand, there's a thing of beauty here too embedded that the Sahaba, before they see themselves as people of Makkah, they see themselves as Muhajirun. And before they see themselves as people of Medina, they see themselves as Ansar. But something is in there that says, you can't treat me this way. You came from outside and we help you, and you're gonna kick me like that? Wait a second. And then the, this, this, some tribalism is in there somewhere, and it comes out. So this report comes to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And what was the Prophet's response to he kicked him? You know what he said? He said, La ba's. No prop, don't worry about it. No big deal. No big deal. How is it not a big deal? He kicked him. Rasulullah is teaching us something very powerful. Sometimes Muslims have arguments among each other. And sometimes things get ugly. And when they get angry, ugly, your temper flares. And you want revenge, you want justice for what happened. Somebody has to pay. And when you're calling for justice and making your voice heard and you're raising your voice and you're gathering people around you, reminding them of what one Muslim has done against another Muslim, you are creating division in the name of justice and you need to learn the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ when he says, you need to let this go and make this not a big deal. Because when you blow this out of proportion, the price will not just be paid, you're not just seeking justice, you're causing a lot of problems in your pursuit of justice. You're making way too much noise for something that can be handled much better. Much more quietly, in a much more civil way, in a much less provocative way. Look, it was two people arguing with each other at a well. Something they, they, something bad happened, fine, but it's two people. But in a split second, it's the entire group of the Muhajirun, it's the entire group of the Ansar. How quickly something small became something big. One can just, man, I lost my temper, sorry, I had a long day, I had a headache, I don't know what got into me, I apologize, I shouldn't have kicked you. Done. Finished. You don't have to make a bigger deal out of it. But there are those who would love to make a bigger deal out of it. There are those who capitalize, they hope that something small happens, a spark happens, and they can turn it into a forest fire. There are people who wait for that opportunity. And you have to want, that, that is a reality that will always exist. There will be people that will find the differences. There are people that are so sick in their minds. They'll say, they'll listen to this shaykh, that shaykh, that shaykh, this imam, that imam, and then they'll know that they have a difference of opinion on some issue. And they'll purposely go, you know, by the way, do you know what they say about this issue? They have a difference with you. And then they'll exact, they, cause they wanna see, they wanna see, they, they, they find it entertaining. They don't watch sports when people are boxing each other. They'd rather Islamic groups, scholars, imams, speakers, they argue with each other, they debate with each other. This is their sport. This is their entertainment. It's sick. That's sick. When this fight broke out, the Prophet ﷺ basically gave the advice to defuse the situation. But there was another person on the other side, Ibn Ubayy, Abdullah ibn Ubayy ibn Salul, la'anahullah, the head of the munafiqeen, who's obviously not, he's not, doesn't wear the label of munafiq. He's among the Muslims. 
he saw an opportunity. He called all the people of Medina that he could into his camp. His camp was further away from the Prophet's camp. <laughs> Calls them, sits them down. Look at what you did to yourself. These people of Mecca, these immigrants came, they take our jobs, they take our money, they take our homes, we provide them everything, and look at how they treat us. This is what you get, see? All they wanted was your money, all they wanted was your welfare. I tell you, we are so dignified, these people are beggars. They, Because you know, when, when somebody's a beggar, they're humiliated, when somebody gives, they're the dignified one. These people have no respect, we're the ones that have respect, and they can treat us this way? You know what they remind me of? كَمَا قَالَ الْأَوَّلِ سَمْ مِنْ كَلْبَكْ يَأْكُلْ He gives a speech and he says, they remind me of the old Arab saying, when you give your dog until the dog gets fat and it bites you. He called the muhajirun dogs. In his speech, in his camp, he did this. And he's doing this to capitalize, to build and build the emotion and the sentiment of the ansar against the muhajirin. And he swears, he says, you know, the second we go back guys, the moment we go back to Medina, لَيُخْرِجَنَّ لَعَزُّ مِنْهَا لَذَلْ We the most dignified should get rid of these humiliated people. Watch, stop spending on them. He, he says, he swears to God, he says, if you just stop giving these people charity, watch them disappear, and they'll live on welfare somewhere else. You know? لَا تُنْفِقُوا عَلَى مَنْ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ حَتَّى يَنْفَضُّوا don't spend on all these people around the messenger. Watch them disappear. They'll just disappear. Watch. They, they're only here for your money. And then they treat you like this. So he's giving this poisonous speech. See, on the one hand, the Prophet is saying, let it go. End it. It's a disgusting, filthy word. Don't exaggerate it. And on the other hand, this guy is pulling, you know, putting fuel into the fire. He wants to make the fire bigger and bigger. What he didn't know is there's a young boy sitting there, Zayd ibn Arqam. 10-11 years old. He's sitting in the audience, listening to this entire poisonous speech. He runs over and tells his uncle what, what Abdullah ibn Ubay said. His uncle goes into the camp of the Prophet ﷺ, where Umar is sitting there too. And he says, this is what Abdullah ibn Ubay is saying. Who narrated it? This is 11-year-old Zayd. That's who narrated it. Now, what is the Prophet supposed to say? Well, we can't trust a child. Child can make anything up. How can we rely on them? No questioning. Zayd said it? No questioning. As a matter of fact, Umar sitting next to him said, I know, uh, I know a guy, Ammar. I want you to give me permission. I'll get Ammar. He'll walk into their camp, slowly walk up to Ibn Ubay ibn Sulul, who's giving this speech, and slit his throat. Just give the word. I got this. I know just the guy for the job. Rasul says, La ya Umar. No Umar. That's not what we're gonna do. You know, because the people will say, "Anna Muhammadan yaqtulu ashabahu." Muhammad kills his people. Before I go any further, why would Umar say kill him? Isn't that barbaric? Like Sharia law gets you to kill people. These understand what's happening here. They're a military. They went out as a as a military, and when inside a military, when they're actively on the battlefield, someone within the ranks of the army tries to create discord between the army, that is, cre that is considered an act of espionage, and an act of high treason, punishable by death, because you're putting the entire army at risk. This is military protocol in every military in the world, from history until now. This is considered high treason. So when Umar says kill him, he's not saying some Islamic rule of killing him. He's saying that's how we deal with treason in the military. But Rasulullah says, no, we won't do that. We won't even do that. 
even though they're well within their rights, if there was any other military that this happened in, nobody would even say anything. Nobody would say, that's of course, that's what you do. But he doesn't. They call Ibn Ubay instead. Call him, let him explain himself. Because he doesn't know that the Prophet will hear it. But he heard it. So now Abdullah bin Ubay and his Hulafa, they've come. They come inside the camp. The boy Zayd ibn Arqam is outside the camp. He has no idea what went on inside. He just told his uncle, remember? His uncle went in and talked to the Prophet The boy didn't go in. So Zayd, you know, Abdullah bin Ubay goes inside, starts swearing at the top of his lungs. Wallahi! I swear to God, who made this lie against me? I believe you're the messenger of Allah. Why would I say something like that about you? Why would I say something like, like that about our brothers? I have given so much for Islam. I came to the battlefield, didn't I? How can you question me like this? You know, whose word are you taking over mine? Why, why have I not proven myself? And he starts giving the Prophet a lecture. At the top of his lungs. And Rasul says, you can go. He doesn't want to hear any more nonsense. He says, you can. He doesn't argue with him. We're learning something else. There are going to be people who cause trouble. And when you question them, they get very loud. They get very loud. And when they get very loud, what's the sunnah of the Prophet It's okay, you can go. Thank you. Some people are not worth talking to. They're just not worth talking to. That's, that's the sunnah. Let him go. When he lets him go, Zayd ibn Arqam is outside. He sees this, this, uh, he sees this man leave and he says, Oh, wait. He's not in any trouble? I told on him, and he's still not in any trouble? So he says, أَصَابَنِي هَمٌ لَمْ يُصِبْنِي قَطْ A sadness took over me that never hit me before. I was sad that day like I was never before in my life. So he says, صَدَّقَهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهُ وَكَذَّبَنِي The Prophet taught, thought that Ibn Ubay, the guy who was yelling and screaming, was telling the truth. And the Prophet didn't believe me because I'm just a kid. He didn't believe me. That's not the case. The case is actually the Prophet believed him right away wasallam, but he doesn't know that because he's on the outside. So he says, I went back to my tent and I just lied down crying. This boy just lied down and he's crying. The Prophet wasallam has no idea what this boy is feeling. We learn about that later. Then Allah revealed Suratul Munafiqun. I told you this khutbah is about Suratul Munafiqun. In Suratul Munafiqun, basically in 11 ayat, Allah Azza wa Jal quoted Zayd ibn Arqam Two ayat are quoting Zayd ibn Arqam word for word. Zayd came and told the Prophet ﷺ, or told his uncle who told the Prophet ﷺ, they said, لَإِرَّجَعْنَا إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ لَيُخْرِجَنَّ الْأَعَزُّ مِنْهَا الْأَذَلِ Words of Abdullah bin Ubay. This is what he said. When we go back to Medina, the dignified ones will expel the humiliated ones. That's what he said. Quran comes and says, يَقُولُونَ لَإِرَّجَعْنَا إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ لَيُخْرِجَنَّ الْأَعَزُّ مِنْهَا الْأَذَلِ وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةِ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Subhanallah. Word for word, the narration of Zayd is now part of Qur'an. He said, they, they said also, don't spend on the people around the Prophet until they disappear. لَا تُنْفِقُوا عَلَى مَنْ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ حَتَّى يَنْفَضُّوا Ayah comes down. You know, يَقُولُونَ هُمُ الَّذِينَ يَقُولُونَ لَا تُنْفِقُوا عَلَى مَنْ عِنْدَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ حَتَّى يَنْفَضُّوا When the surah is revealed to the Prophet he calls for Zayd. Who was crying by himself. He calls Zayd, sits him down, puts his hand on his knees, and says, لَقَدْ صَدَّقَكَ Allah. Allah proved that you're telling the truth. And he recited the entire surah to Zayd, the 11 year old boy. Before anybody else heard the surah, Zayd heard the surah. This surah, it's like, it has so many purposes, this surah. But one of its core purposes was to, you know, care for the sentiments of this child. 
this 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 kid who spoke subhanallah 